0: Chapter 1 1 Kings When King David was old and well advanced in years he could not keep warm even when they put covers over him so his servants said to him let us look for a young virgin to attend the king and take care of him she can lie beside him so that our lord the king may keep warm then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl and found Abishag a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him. But the king had no intimate relations with her. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Hagith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready, with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking, Why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and with Abiatar the priest, and they gave him their support. But Sadok the priest, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, and Rai, and David's special guard, did not join Adonaiyar. Adonaiyar then sacrificed sheep, cattle and fattened calves at the stone of Zoheleth near Enrogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons and all the men of Judah who were royal officials. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah or the special guard or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king without our Lord David's knowing it? Now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in to King David and say to him, My lord the king, did you not swear to me, your servant? Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? While you are still there talking to the king, I will come in and confirm what you have said. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room where Abishag the Shunammite was attending him. Bathsheba bowed low and knelt before the king. "'What is it you want?' the king asked. She said to him, "'My lord, you yourself swore to me your servant by the Lord your God. Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adonijah has become king, and you, my lord, the king, do you not know about it? He has sacrificed great numbers of cattle. "'Fattened calves and sheep, and has invited all the king's sons. "'Abiath the priest and Joab the commander of the army, "'but he has not invited Solomon, your servant. "'My lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, "'to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. "'Otherwise, as soon as my lord the king is laid to rest with his fathers, "'I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals.' "'While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived.' And they told the king, Nathan the prophet is here. So he went before the king and bowed with his face to the ground. Nathan said, Have you, my lord the king, declared that Adonijah shall be king after you, and that he will sit on your throne? Today he has gone down and sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves and sheep. He has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. Right now they are eating and drinking with him and saying, Long live king Adonijah!' But me, your servant... And Sadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he did not invite. Is this something my lord the king has done, without letting his servants know? Who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then king David said, Call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence, and stood before him. The king then took an oath. As surely as the lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble... I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. Then Bathsheba bowed low with her face to the ground, and kneeling before the king, said, May my lord, King David, live forever. King David said, Call in Sadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you and set Solomon, my son, on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Beniah son of Jehoiada answered the king, Amen! May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the King, so declare it. As the Lord was with my Lord, the King, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So Sadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Kerithites and the Pelethites, went down and put Solomon on King David's mule and escorted him to Gihon. Sadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing flutes and rejoicing greatly, so that the ground shook with the sound. Adonai and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finishing their feast. On hearing the sound of the trumpet, Joab asked, What's the meaning of all the noise in the city? Even as he was speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar the priest, arrived. Adonai said, Come in, a worthy man like you must be bringing good news. Not at all, Jonathan answered. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Sadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Kerathites and the Pelathites, and they have put him on the king's mule. And Sadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. From there they have gone up cheering, and the city resounds with it. That's the noise you hear. Moreover, Solomon has taken his seat on the royal throne. Also the royal officials have come to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours, and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed in worship on his bed and said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. At this all Adonai's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. But Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then Solomon was told, "Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon and is clinging to the horns of the altar. He says, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Solomon replied, If he shows himself to be a worthy man, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he will die. Then King Solomon sent men, and they brought him down from the altar. And Adonijah came and bowed down to King Solomon, and Solomon said,
1: Go to your home. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, Let's just bow in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray that uh, you would uh, quieten our minds and our hearts now, and uh, by your Spirit, enable us to focus on what your word is saying to us today, that uh, we would live more godly lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm glad that early on Peter prayed for the politicians, um, because uh, politics is a very tough business, isn't it? Uh, especially when it comes to leadership over the last few months or so in the state of New South Wales and in the nation of Australia, we've seen leaders being deposed and new leaders being installed and it's grubby, isn't it? It's a grubby business uh, where there's power brokers, there are are backroom deals, uh, there are uh, uh, factions, uh, there's lobbying that goes on and I don't know about you, but sometimes I kind of wonder if I'd really want to have the leadership handed to me. Uh, because it can be like a poison chalice, can't it? Because you know that as soon as you're made leader, then you're in debt to the behind the scenes people who pull the strings. And those debts will, be, will now be called in. Thankfully, we live in a democracy which means that although the political parties can pick their their leader, that ultimately at the ballot box we get our say as to who will run the country and the state. In some countries, leadership, though, is something which is handed down from one leader to their anointed next leader. North Korea is an example of that, isn't it? Uh, In 1994, the dear supreme leader, uh, Kim Il-sung, died. But uh, before he died, he made it clear that uh, his son, uh, Kim Jong-il, would be the new dear supreme leader. That's what they call him, the dear supreme leader. Imagine that, dear supreme leader, Kevin. (laughs) See, it's just like a monarchy in that sense. It's a t- tyranny, uh, but it's, it's just like a monarchy. Uh, now, of course, uh, monarchies are different today. In Today's kings and queens have no real power to, to govern. Uh, they fulfill a ceremonial and historical and cultural role. But the decision as to who will sit on the throne when the present monarch passes away is a relatively easy decision. Well, there's no decision needed, actually. Did you notice recently when Prince William visited that there were people who were saying, he's so handsome, Uh, he's so princely, he's so, you know, nice and charming and, uh, you know, could he maybe, could, could we have him as our next monarch, please? Did you see that in the media? And, of course, the monarchists and the... Uh, Royal watchers, you know, squashed that idea very quickly by pointing out, no, 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 the rules of succession are established, they're clear, we all know who the next monarch will be. 3,000 years ago in Israel, the handing over of kingship was not so well established and was not so clear. Now, today, we're going to put aside John's Gospel for a while. Uh, John's Gospel is our main Gospel that we'll be dealing with this year. We'll come back to John's Gospel later on in the year. But our, our main Old Testament um, series will be a two-part series on 1 and 2 Kings. And uh, we'll be starting that this morning. I don't know if you've looked at 1 and 2 Kings recently, uh, but... Uh, as the name suggests, one and two kings, tells the history of ancient Israel uh, from the perspective of of detailing and analyzing the the kingships. uh, Who ruled, uh, what happened during their time, and what kind of king they were, uh, particularly in terms of what kind of king they were in relation to their creator. And so let's talk about the kings of Israel. The first king of Israel was, of course, Saul. Uh, God had established Israel as a theocracy uh, ruled by the uh, the prophets. But the people had looked at the nations around and said, we want a king. And uh, God had said to them, all right, you want a king? I'll give you a king like the nations around. And uh, so Saul was uh, chosen by God was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the first king over Israel. The second king was David. Now, David was king in Israel for 40 years. Uh, He was was anointed king around uh, 1010 BC, and he finished up as king in 970 BC. So, folks, we're talking about real ancient history here, aren't we? We're talking about the royal court of Israel a full 3,000 years ago. And it's intriguing that the Bible gives us this such a very clear picture and detailed picture uh, of such an ancient period. During David's reign, uh, it, was a, it was a period of almost continual warfare. Uh, the Israelites had, uh, were not f- as firmly established in the promised land is what they would be later. And uh, there was uh, constant warfare with the Philistines and with uh, with the other nations around during the time of David. And so David was a warrior king. And David was renowned as being a great and a mostly godly but not perfect leader. Uh, David was the giant slayer. Uh, David was the one whose military exploits uh, under God were f- were famous. David was the one of whom they sung songs. Remember, they would sing uh, Saul much to Saul's gall. They would sing Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. There was a song that they made up that the people would sing about David. But in 1 Kings chapter 1 which I invite you to turn to now on page 235 uh, we're at the end of David's life David here is a elderly weak sick old man anyone feel like that sometimes <laughs> he's nearly finished his days are numbered and he is sick <clears throat> Uh, we know that because we're told that no matter uh, that it, that he had some kind of bad temperature, because no matter uh, how many blankets they threw on David, that uh, he was always cold. They could not keep him warm. Did you notice when the passage was read what the remedy that his servants, presumably his physicians, had uh, suggested uh, to deal with his constant coldness? Did you notice? Did you notice the remedy? notice it, you could barely miss it, could you? (laughs) Uh, It was they they, they, the idea was, and they did it, they searched for and they found a beautiful young virgin woman and her job was to take care of David and to lie with him to keep him warm. Uh, Her name was Abishag. Uh, she was from the town of Shunem. Uh, she's called Abishag the Shunemite. Uh, she may well be the same, uh, um, the, the same Shulamite girl that's uh, the focus of Song of Solomons. So there's a slight difference in the name there, but maybe the same person. Apparently, the ancient uh, physicians thought that the, uh, that the, the warmth or that the heat and the health from a young body could be transferred to the body of an ageing patient. It's also worth noting that in the culture of the ancients that the young woman was expected to do more than simply lie uh, with the um, aged person, the aged man. And so Saul uh, had been the first king of Israel, David was Israel's second king. Uh, Saul and David were not father and son. Uh, There was no sort of uh, line, family line. This was not a, um, a, what what do you call it, a a house, a a dynasty. Uh, Both of those kings were chosen by God, and both of them were anointed by the prophet Samuel. But now at the end of David's life, the question is, how would David's successor be decided? Uh, apparently, uh, in the other nations around, a king's uh, tenure would be determined somewhat by his virility. Uh, that is, that when a king lost his virility, uh, they said that his, his, numbers were, his number was up, it was time for a new king. And it's interesting to note that uh, the immediate connection between verse 4 and verse 5. In verse 4, we're told that David did not have sex with Abishag. Uh, And in verse 5, immediately afterwards, we're told that uh, one of David's sons, Adonijah, uh, then put himself forward and said, I will be king. And so I think there's a connection there. So what do we know about this chap, Adonijah? Well, firstly, he was David's oldest living son. Uh, David had a couple of sons prior to uh, Adonijah, who were now um, deceased. Uh, He was David's oldest living son, but that in itself did not give any claim to the throne. Uh, There was not this just handing down to the oldest son. Secondly, take a look at verse 6. In verse 6, we're told that uh, his father, that is David, had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom, who was deceased. But his father never interfered with him by asking, Why do you behave as you do? Uh, What is that telling us? Uh, Well, it's saying that in the parenting stakes that David maybe had a few flaws, Uh, that he didn't actually do such a great job, that he never actually pulled Adonijah into line, that this guy was able to behave in whatever way he wanted to without being rebuked by his father. And we know that that leads to a spoilt person, don't we? Someone who's always used to getting their way. In the Bible, leaders of God's people do not appoint themselves, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament in particular, leaders of God's people are appointed through the prophets. In the New Testament in particular, Leaders of God's people are are appointed through the prayerful examination by other church leaders who go before them. Now, we saw that last year, didn't we, when we looked at uh, Titus. Um, In Titus chapter 1, you may recall that Paul had left Titus on the island nation of Crete where the churches had been established and he left him there in order to complete some unfinished work And one of the tasks that Titus was to do uh, was to appoint elders in all of the churches. You see, Paul didn't say to Titus, look, I want you to go to the churches and I want you to make an announcement. I want you to get people to put up their hand if they're interested in becoming an elder. He didn't say that. He said to appoint men. Uh, Appoint godly men, and he gave a list of qualifications to Titus as to the kind of men that are suitable for spiritual leadership and to appoint them. Um, In our own church, the elders of our church appoint uh, leaders to uh, various positions, and they do so after prayerful examination and consideration. And that's important. Because leaders model, we, how do we lead people? What do we lead people towards? We're to lead people towards godliness. And therefore, leaders themselves must be godly people. Humble, uh, people who trust in the Lord, people who are gracious, and people who are prayerful. Um, I, I think that's very important. Um, by way of personal um, illustration here, uh, when I was a young Christian, I was part of a church which was a fairly big church uh, with lots of young people. And we had a lot of Bible study groups in that church. And uh, every year, the elders of the church would, uh, would appoint uh, godly people to lead those Bible study groups. Um, but I was approached by someone who wanted to start up his own group. And he wanted to invite me to join his group uh, with himself as the leader, of course. Uh, I didn't know any better. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll join your group. No dramas. Uh, I joined up. Uh, it was only later that I realized that this was not official, that the elders had never appointed this person to lead a group. And I guess I learned the hard way that there was good reason why he hadn't been one of the people who'd been chosen to lead uh, a group. Uh, The reality is that self-appointed leaders who kind of step outside of the uh, normal procedures of being being appointed by those who are in spiritual authority, that uh, self-appointed leaders tend towards serving their own ambitions rather than serving the spiritual interests of the people under their leadership. And that was the case in the situation I've outlined for you. And it's the case here as well with Adonijah. Um, I want us to consider how it was that Adonijah made his attempt to take the throne. And when we look at this, we'll see as someone said to me, uh, a new Christian said to me um, just in the nine after the 9 o'clock service, he said, wow, things haven't changed much. Uh, it's pretty much the same way as it is in politics these days. Because firstly, in verses 7 through to 8, uh, Adonijah played politics. Uh, he gathered a group of people around, and he approached people, and he conspired. Uh, we're told that he conspired with Joab and Abiata. Let me tell you a bit about those two men. They were easy targets. They were people who were likely to come on board with him. Uh, Joab had been the commander of the army uh, until David had uh, replaced him with someone else because of some wrongdoing that Joab had been involved in. And so Joab was not a great fan of David's. He was kind of offside with David. And he had a vested interest because if Adonijah had been successful in establishing himself as king, then Joab would certainly be uh, the commander of the army. Now, uh, the other guy is Abiata. Abiata was a priest, uh, but he was not David's preferred priest. We're not quite sure why. But he felt a bit offside with David as well. Uh, David preferred a priest by the name of Zadok. And so from Abiata's point of view, if Adonijah succeeded in being established as king, then uh, Abiata would be the one who'd been the top religious post. And so uh, so, so what what, Adonijah is doing here is getting on board some people who would be uh, influential over the army in terms of Joab, and influential over the uh, religion in terms of Abiata. And from those guys' point of view, they had a self-interest in that as well. So self-interest, he ruled. And um, we're told also that uh, he approached various people. These guys got on board with him, but there were others who decided not to have anything further to do with it. So what he's done uh, is he's basically created his own party and he's created an opposition. And so this is very divisive behavior on the part of Adonijah. Secondly, uh, in verses 9 through to 10, he played religion. Have a look at the first part of verse 9. Uh, He's gotten these people together, and uh, he's gathered a crowd of people around. And we're told that Adonijah then sacrificed sheep cattle, and fattened calves at the stone of Zoheleth near Enrogel. So he's he's put on a big sacrifice, a religious sacrifice. Uh, Now, why would he do that? Well, he wants to do this because he wants to send out the visual impression that this is ordained by God, that God is in this. And it makes you wonder sometimes how sometimes we can actually You know, call on religion to justify our own selfish ambitions. But check out the people who he invited. Uh, In again in verse B, he invited all of his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah who were royal officials. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah, who was now the commander of the army, or the special guard or his brother Solomon. You see, he invited all of his brothers and all of the royal officials because he wanted them to think that this was somehow David's will, that he be king. Uh, But there was one brother whom he did not invite, Solomon. Now, the question is, why would he invite all the other princes and not invite Solomon? Why would he do that? Well, why do you think that Adonijah had to conspire uh, and hatch a plot behind his father's back? Why did he have to do that? There's only one reason why he had to do that, and that reason is because he knew that he was not going to be king. He knew that he was not the rightful successor to his father. And it seems that he knew that Solomon was That's why Solomon didn't get an invite. Um, In verses 11 through to 27, Nathan, who was a godly prophet, a man who uh, was prepared on one occasion to put his own head on 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 the block by challenging David, the king, over his adultery with Bathsheba, a man who was no fearer of men, But here we see is actually still loyal to the Lord's anointed one. Uh, Nathan uh, informed Solomon's mother Bathsheba about the coup d'etat that was taking place. And then Bathsheba went and told David, and she reminded David of a promise that he had made. And we see that promise in verse 17. Uh, she said to David, My lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant, by the Lord your God, Solomon, your son, shall be king after me and will sit on my throne. See the promise that, Solomon, that David has made? And uh, Bathsheba reminds him of this. We don't know when David made this promise to Bathsheba because it's not actually recorded for us elsewhere in the scriptures. Uh, However, we do know that earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that God had made a promise to David and God had promised David that a son who was yet to be born would sit on his throne after him, would rule Israel. So get the importance of that, that God has said that, from, uh, that, that for David, his son would be a, one of his sons would be the, the successor. This is new, right? Now, at that point in time, Adonijah had already been born. Uh, but the next son to be born to David uh, was in fact Solomon after his adultery with Bathsheba. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12 we are told that Solomon was loved by God. And so it may well be that uh, David's understanding is that that therefore means that Solomon is the Lord's anointed, based on the promise of 2 Samuel chapter 7. So David now is informed of the plot. And in verses 28 through to 37, the old Sick, I can't keep warm, David, springs into action. The old line is back. I mean, uh, you know, think about this. A beautiful young woman lying with him in bed could not stir his passion. But the news that an ungodly, self-centred son was planning to rule over the people of God, well, that certainly got his heart racing. And uh, this old line, he just... uh, He knew exactly what to do at that point. His mental faculties came into play. He summoned Zadok the priest, uh, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the military commander. And in verse 38, under his directions, they then sat Solomon on the king's mule and they took him to a place called Gihon, They gathered a crowd of people around and uh, Nathan anointed Solomon as the king. By being uh, placed on the king's mule, that was a clear statement that this was what David wanted to happen. By being anointed by the godly prophet Nathan, it was clear that this was God's choice. And so an interesting situation now uh, takes place. The people around After the trumpet's blown, shout out, long live King Solomon. Uh, King Solomon then goes and takes his place sitting on the royal throne where he acted as co-regent with David for a short while. And then Adonijah was informed of what was happening. Put Adonijah in a pretty difficult position, don't you reckon? Two anointings of kings going on at the same time and, you know, so you wonder, well, what did Adonijah do about this? You know, the brave, courageous Adonijah, what did he do? Well, in verse 49, he ran for his life. He fled. Uh, we're told that he, that he, we, we, if you have a look at verse 49, we're told that he took hold of the horns of the altar. Uh, and what that means is that he went to a place of religious sanctuary, or a religious place of sanctuary. Uh, there's... Uh, precedent for that in the Old Testament that there was to be a place where people who were innocent but were being pursued could go to and they couldn't be touched. Well he abuses that uh, he's not innocent at all but that's why he goes there and the reason he goes there is because Adonijah assumed that Solomon would do to him the very thing that he planned to do to Solomon and that was to have him executed. But Solomon and he deserved to be executed this guy. Why do you think he deserved to be executed? Because he presumed to be the Lord's anointed. That's why. Um, Solomon, however, was merciful towards him. Have a look at verse 52. Uh, let me read it for you. In verse 52, um, Solomon was told about, you know, what Adon- where Adonijah was and so on. And Solomon replied, well... If he shows himself to be a worthy man, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he will die. So he's giving him a second chance, isn't he? He's saying, look, if he repents and he proves to be okay, then fine. We'll leave him alone. Not a hair will fall from his head. However, if he doesn't repent, then he will be executed. That's it. Reasonable choice. In chapter 2, Adonijah did something which was evil. In verse 13 of chapter 2, we're told that he made a request. Uh, He did so through Bathsheba, but it was a request that was to be taken to King Solomon. And the request was, uh, he said, I would like... Abishag, the Shimonite, to be my wife. Would the king give her to me as my wife, please?" Now, why do you think that was wrong? Well, it's not entirely clear. But from the text, we can see that the reason that he was asking for Abishag to be his wife was not simply because she was gorgeous. There was more to it than that you see in verse 22 Solomon replies by saying well hang on he says by asking for Abishag that Adonijah might as well be asking for the whole kingdom not only for himself but also for his co-conspirators Joab and Abiata you see, Solomon sees in this that there's some kind of a plot, uh, and this is part of a plot for those three power power brokers. Uh, it may well have been. You see, we know that Abishag would have at very least been King David's concubine. Uh, she may have well have been one of his wives. Um, monogamy was not as popular in those days as it was as what it should have been. And that somehow marriage to her would somehow lead to access to the throne itself. That somehow there would be an undermining of uh, Solomon's position on the throne. And so Solomon had to act. Um, Adonijah and Joab were both executed. Abiata, the priest, was spared his life. He was exiled. Uh, the reason why his life was spared was because he had been one of the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant and uh, Solomon saw that you shouldn't actually go and kill someone who's carried the Ark of the Covenant. Now, they say that you can tell a lot about a person by what they say on their deathbed. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, some Famous examples of that. I think Oscar Wilde was famous on his deathbed. He looked around the room and he said, this wallpaper is awful. One of us is going to have to go. (laughs) Anyway, sorry about that. (laughs) Let's have a look at what King David's dying words were. Um, Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Everyone have a look at this. When the king drew near for sorry, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong. Show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires, walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me, which was, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. And in verse 10, Then David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, He had reigned 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, and 30 years in Jerusalem. Now, it seems that David came good on the parenting, (laughs) at least right at the end. Uh, What does he want of Solomon? What is his dying words? What is his fatherly advice? Well, he says, be strong. Be a man. That's what he's saying. But what does it mean to be a man? I wonder what you think most Australians think it is to be a man. I think there's a couple of different views out there, isn't there? I mean, in Australian culture, some people think that to be a man means to be one of the boys. Be like one of the blokes in the the beer ads, you know? Like you've never actually grown up. You're still a teenager, but you're much older. Some people think it's like that, not to take responsibilities seriously. Be the practical joker. Be a man. For others, to be a man means to kind of push your own agenda, to uh, put yourself first at home, in the workplace, even in church. Be a man. Don't let anyone sort of push you over. Pardon me. Be a man, have a gravelly voice. <laughs> <clears throat> but David says this to his son, he says, Be strong. You know, be a man, put God first. Walk in God's ways. Now I've sometimes hear people say, and I you know, unbelievably I've heard some Christian leaders say that, that somehow Christian men that we're we're not real men. Apparently we're not tough enough. I've got to tell you that when I became a Christian, I reckon that that was when I really started meeting some men who I would describe as being real men, real men, men who put God first, uh, men who uh, have very firm and solid convictions about about the gospel, about who God is, who Jesus is, about what's what Christ has done for us, uh, men who who do not compromise when it comes to matters of what is true and what is right. Uh, Men who seek to live godly lives, irrespective of the cost, Uh, men who will want to actually uh, do what God wants, even though that might not be popular, even though it might put them at odds with their mates, but men who put God first, love their wives and their children, and raise their children up in the knowledge and the love of God and present their wives to God as a as a as a as a, as a beautiful person, uh, mature and firm in the faith. I'll tell you another thing about real men. Real men are humble. Uh, real men know their own inadequacies. Real men know that they need to actually put their trust in God. Now, that is exactly the opposite to Adonijah. Adonijah wasn't a real man. Uh, To be the king of Israel and to do it properly, to be the kind of king that leads God's people, uh, was a responsibility which was beyond the measure of any man Adonijah presumed that he could do it by himself. Adonijah presumed that he could do it, in fact, without God. Adonijah, in fact, wanted to do it in defiance of God. Solomon was different. In chapter 3, verse 5, God appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God made Solomon an offer. It was an interesting offer, it was a great offer. He said to Solomon, ask me for anything you want me to give to you. It's a good offer, isn't it? He's not saying I'm going to give you whatever you want, but he says, ask me for whatever you want me to give to you. Friends, Solomon understood the enormity of the job that was ahead for him. Solomon understood his own inability as a frail human being to to lead God's people and to do it well. And we see that in verse 9 because he responded to God and he said, Well, who is able? Who is able to govern this great people of yours? Implication being, I'm not able to do it, I don't have the goods. And so what did he ask for? Great wealth, so that he could live a life of luxury, so that he could live like a king, as they say? I suspect that if Adonijah was in his shoes, that is exactly what Adonijah would have been asking for. No, what does he ask for? Well, you all know the answer, don't you? Wisdom. Wisdom. He says to God, give me a discerning heart so so that I can govern your people and and distinguish between right and wrong. Give me wisdom. And I guess we can see see that at this early age that what Solomon is displaying is a desire to serve. And in that sense, he's he's not unlike King David's greatest son, is he? The one who would come uh, a thousand years later. The one who would say uh, when his own disciples were jockeying for leadership positions that the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For Solomon... The wisdom to serve well was more important than all the riches, all the treasures that this world has to offer. What we'll see next week is that God actually gave him both. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for this uh, humbling word which... um, Speaks to us in order to demolish our pride and our arrogance and our uh, self-assuredness. And it speaks to us of the need to be humble people who seek your will. And we pray that we would be that kind of people. In Jesus' name. Amen.